It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Ashes to ashes. Fun to funky. The Cricket Badger Ashes 2019 podcast, brought to you in association with Cricket 365, with your host James Butler, Cricket 365's Ollie Fisher, and journalist Akash Shivasubramanian. Welcome along to the fourth edition. It's the Ashes Weekly with the Cricket Badger podcast. And it's just the two of this this week. I'm going to resist singing the song, but it's myself and Akash, because Ollie is otherwise engaged watching cricket at Scarborough. So Akash, just down to me and you this week. How are you? I'm fine. I'm actually I'm a little worried about Stephen Smith. I don't know how, how much of an impact that concussion has had on his confidence. Hopefully it has not had any impact on his confidence and we can see him in the fourth match probably. Yeah, we've just had, uh, before we press record on this podcast, we've had news that Stephen Smith is going to be missing the test match ahead in either third test. So Australia missing, well, not just their batsman, but the best batsman in the series so far by a country mile. And in a way, Akash, it's very sad for the series. It's disappointing because you want to see England playing against the best and Stephen Smith is good to watch. But it's the right decision, isn't it? You know, if you get hit on the head like that and you have this concussion, we see in other sports, there's mandatory periods where you have to be out of the game. You know, the, the third test match has just took, come too quickly for the batsman. It is the right decision that uh, Cricket Australia has taken and uh, Justin Langer has also confirmed it. One thing that we've not seen these kind of things in the past. Uh, we've seen players getting concussed and then immediately put on the field in the next game. 
So it's a good move that they didn't look at just the Ashes and to play well in this particular series, but also looking at the next two years. So it's a good move from Cricket Australia. The worry with concussion is, and you know, I'm by no means a medical expert, but from what I've read about it, it's not something that necessarily appears immediately. You know, when they come out there and they, they've got the helmet in the hand, they're testing the helmet and they're saying, can you remember what your name is? It's not necessarily then that concussion rears its ugly head. You know, it can often be a day or two later. So, you know, we saw in the test match, Stephen Smith reported a bit groggy the following day. He missed day five of the test. You know, it's just the right thing to do. And obviously, cricket has got that big cloud of the Philip Hughes tragedy from about four years ago, still at the very much at the forefront of its mind. And it's quite right that player welfare comes before entertainment, comes before that player's wish to play. Exactly. It's high time that we've seen teams actively take the initiation to replace these players and get them good rests. We've not seen it in the past and now suddenly we're we are looking at it now. And I think it's it's the start of a of a new perspective for Test cricket. I must admit, when Marnus Labashan came in to replace Stephen Smith, obviously in cricket now they can have the substitute for a concussive injury. I did think at the time, you can almost guarantee he's going to get some runs here because that's just the way England's look will go in this, this Test match. But I'm always also thinking, oh, if, the, if this Test match had been played a year earlier, he wouldn't have been able to come in as a sub and... England would have probably gone on and win that test match. He played really well. You know, he, sc- he scored a lot of runs for Glamorgan earlier on this season, this series. He looks like a gutsy player as well. He got clouted on the head by a Jofra Archer short ball, bounced straight back up, looked him in the eyes, carried on, scored 59. Was probably unfortunate to get out in the manner that he did and was instrumental in Aus- Australia seeing it to safety. Yes, I ex- exactly. I agree with you on this one. And uh, it's not just this, We've, uh, as you've already mentioned, he... <laughs> He's played 18 games for Glamorgan this season and he scored 550s and 5 tons with almost 1,000 runs in English cricket, which is excellent and good for Australia. So I think uh, most probably he's going to be fitting right into Stephen Smith and there'll probably be another few changes. They would rest a few bowlers and then they would probably change the opening partnership, but I'm not sure at the moment. I was thinking even if Stephen Smith played in the third test match, Akash, that you could make a big argument for Marnus Labashen coming in anyway because he just looked the part. He hasn't played much cricket of, of late, but he looked like he was in decent nick. He looks like he's got the temperament and he's certainly got the technique. So I think there was an argument, even if Smith played, to shoehorn him in somewhere because we were talking just prior to pressing record that you know, the Australian top order is as problematic for them as the England's top order is for, for England. You know, David Warner yet to get into double figures in this series. Cameron Bancroft looks like a walking wicket. Kawaja's looked okay when he's come in, but he's found ways to get out early. Big, big problems for Australia. The Stephen Smith runs that he's scored in this series so far have papered over the cracks in Australia's batting. It's a huge problem that Stephen Smith is missing out. And we've seen that Australian top order without Steve Smith is not actually good enough or on, on this English conditions. And it has looked brittle in the past. So the question for the board is who would they change? Because if they have to change an opener it would have to be David Warner because he's not in form. Or if it is Cameron Bancroft, because Cameron Bancroft has scored at least in double figures where David Warner has failed to do it. So would they change David Warner because he's, he's influential in the in the dressing room? Would they change him? And if they change him, what would, what would they do? Would they take in 
Marcus Harris or it, there's a lot of combinations and changes that they might have to take if they have to just change an opening spot because then uh, a lot of other things come come into place. So it's going to be tricky for Australia if they have to replace one of the openers and because there the are two other batsmen who are waiting in the shed. So it's going to be a tricky decision that they have to take. But I, I guess it's it'll be the right time to take it before it is too late in the series. If it was me and I was in the Australian camp, I'd keep with David Warner because, yes, he's been Stuart Broad's bunny. He's found ways to get himself out early. But he does have a little bit of credit in the bank, doesn't he? Because if you look back at his career, he scored loads of runs. He scored runs in England in the past. It's unlikely that you're going to go through a five-test match series and at some stage David Warner doesn't hit his straps and, and score some runs. There's much more credit in the bank that David Warner's got than Cameron Bancroft, who I think looks just as out of form. He looks determined. He looks as if he's trying his, his, his guts out, but he's just not getting the runs that Australia need at the top of the order. So if it was me, I would ring the changes in the, at the in the opening partnership, but it would be Bancroft that fell on his sword and I'd probably bring Marcus Harris in to replace him. Keep Warner at the top of the order thinking, you know, he's going to come good at some stage. And obviously Labashan comes in for Smith. If you were going to do it that way, would you bring Travis Head slightly up the order and maybe just have Labashan at five and Head, head at four? Because Head's looked okay in this series, hasn't he, so far? He, he looks like the one player other than Smith that's got some form. Well, I, uh, there are a lot of uh, permutation combinations that Australia could try. In fact, they could even have Usman Kawaja opening the batting alongside David Warner and then bring in an all-rounder in the form of probably Mitchell Marsh or Michael Nesser to just rotate their fast bowlers and then give them some break. So they could probably do that or they probably could drop in Matthew Wade and bring in another batsman. So, there are a lot of combinations that they could try out. But it'd be interesting to see if they do try Usman Kawaja and David Warner at the, at the top of the batting order, which I I think is, is more like a fan theory. I don't know if they would do it. If they would do it, I think it'd be good because Usman Kawaja has looked solid in the first few overs. And he's, he's mostly, his wickets have been his fault and he's given it He's given it to the bowlers and not the bowlers have exactly, but the bowlers have not managed to get him out that way. So, I think they could try that combination or they could just go with Marcus Harris and David Warner. Again, there's two left-handers at the, at the top of the order. So, there are a lot of changes that I think they can do, but I'm not sure how much they're going to do it. What would you do? If you were the Australian chairman selectors, if you were Justin Langer, how would you want to see that 11 at Headingley? Well, I would start with David Warner and Usman Kawaja. I think they've been in good form, so I'd just keep them at the top of the order. And then... And then would bring Lubshain, Travis Head and the batting order. So it would be that. And then one change would be, would be I would rotate Patrick Cummins or Josh Hazelwood. I think I'd, I'd rotate Josh Hazelwood with James Pattinson and Pat Cummins with Mitchell Stark just to just to bring a, a different element. We've, we've seen how much an impact the pace could do in the last game with uh, Joffre Archer. So I think Mitchell Stark could be raring to go and be the right time to unleash him. Cummins himself, though, isn't a slouch, is he, by any means? And he's been head and shoulders the best of the Australian seamers in this series so far. I can't see them taking him out of the equation. I think Pat Cummins is is in key to them. And in, in a way, the fact that that test at Lords was drawn, and we'll, we'll come on to that in a second, but this test at Headingley now is crucial, isn't it? If Australia can get another draw, or if indeed they can win it, they go into the last two games with a one-game lead, at least, and the Ashes is nearly theirs. If England can fight back at Headingley, and it's one all going into the last two, you'd put your money on England then winning the series from that position. So this, this Headingley test is very key. From that respect, if you're Australia, Pat Cummins plays. Well, that's true that we look at that perspective, but we've also seen Justin Langer talk about how he's going to risk 
rest and rotate all the bowlers. So I think if there is any test match, I think Pat Cummins needs a rest. It would be the third one because three consecutive tests may not do good for his physical physical good. And we've seen Pat Cummins' nature with with injuries. So I think. it's the right time to give him rest and uh, get him fit and ready for the fourth one and probably bring in a like i won't say a like to like replacement but uh, a replacement in in terms of pace and in terms of line and length with james pattinson and then get in start for just the change that australian bowling needs the, the one thing about mitchell stark as well is he he had time with yorkshire in the in the county scene um a few years ago so he knows headingley quite well too so that would be a plus for mitchell stark but his red ball form hasn't been fantastic but yeah it remains to be seen they're definitely going to rotate the bowling attack as they go through this series this third test is pivotal in the whole series this is crucial this five days at in leeds and if it was if i was in the australian camp i'd be trying to put out my best 11 thinking if we can just go one once again if we can go strongly if we can win this the ashes are ours if it's 2-0 england can't take the ashes off us if we can go big in headingley then the other t- test matches can look after themselves and we can maybe give people a rest then we'll see how they go over the next few days as they announce their 11 for headingley The Cricket Badger podcast is brought to you in association with Cricket365.com. Their ethos: we love cricket and want to make the world love it as much as we do. Join them at Cricket365.com. Thank you very much to them for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. Looking back at Lords, I've been eulogising about that Test match. It was. a fantastic advert for test match cricket i feel sorry for the fans that bought their tickets for day 1 because obviously they got washed out but the remaining 4 days was everything that was good about test match cricket you had fire at times you had you had grit and determination at times you had bravery at times he had everything in that test match and a very close finish as well you know if if the rain had just stayed away a little bit on that fifth morning who knows what would have happened it could have been an england win it could have been completely different but it was a terrific test match exactly we've seen so much happen in just i would say three and a half days of uh, test cricket because keeping in mind the the sessions we lost due to rain so it's just three and a half days of play in in just three and a half days of play we've seen everything we've seen from a a uh, complete dominating bowling performance to a uh, batting heroic i could say with uh, steve smith and further we have seen ben stokes the way he re- redeemed himself at the middle of the order lords has been iconic for him the in the past 3 months and he would always remember lords just for these two reasons it was good test for uh, both teams because kind of i, I would say that uh, it brings a confidence to both sides we've, we've not seen pat comments in 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 such form in the first test so pat comments coming into good form in the second test is is a good sign for australia certainly for england all of their uh, changes and all of their bowlers have performed well so it's a really good sign going into the third match because it's going to be tight winning they were 71 for 4 in the second innings and rory burns was walking back to the pavilion the lead was only 79 runs and you were fearing for england at that stage you were thinking yeah if they get another couple of wickets here this is uh, an australian victory you mentioned ben stokes there his century in the second innings was was superb it was all the different types of batting there there was uh, the over my dead body attitude at the start of it you're not going to get me out he was quite boring if you want to kind of look at it that way he was very defensive early on but he he was determined not to give his wicket away obviously as it progressed and those 
partnerships with Joss Butler and, and then Johnny Bairstow developed. He opened his shoulders towards the end and showed the more kind of one-day cricket that Ben Stokes can play. But he's grown up massively. I think that uh, Bristol incident, it was unseemly. He'll admit that he made mistakes that night. Ultimately, if you, when we look back at his career in a few years' time, it could be, strangely, the making of him, couldn't it? Because I think he's grown up massively as a cricketer. And that 115 not out at Lords was a top effort. It is not only just an effort to save England from possible defeat, but also to give him confidence going into the last three games. He's not had the confidence in, you could say, the five-day cricket compared to the limited overs. So it was a really good go for him to just go and hit out the balls and just spend quality time on the pitch. But one one thing that I would say is it puts huge pressure on Joe Denley because if Joe Denley continues to fail, we might see Ben Stokes just slotting into number four and then it puts a lot of, a lot of pressure on Joe Denley because he's not been he's, he's been getting starts but he's not been able to convert those starts. So I think it's high time he starts converting those starts into a 50, into a 70 or into 100, possibly. I, I think with Ben Stokes, five is as high as I'd want to see him. I think as your all-rounder in the side, he's basically turned himself into a batting all-rounder, really. He's very much the fourth seamer. I wouldn't want to see him too much higher than five. I think five or six in the order is where you want your all-rounder to be. I think four would be too high for him. And I think it, it's not really a case of moving Ben Stokes up. It is a case, like you've said, of the, the top four actually starting to score more runs and, and be the top four and be the premier batsman for England. And if we go through England's top order, Rory Burns has, has had a decent um, series. The century at Edgebaston was was gutsy and top-notch after the disappointment against Ireland only a week before. And even at Lords, you know, he, he's not getting uh, massive plaudits for it, but he top-scored in the first innings with 53. 29 in the second innings was OK as well. And when he was in, you're never too worried about him, really, as a player. So I think Rory Burns, his career is going in the right direction. I don't want to make this podcast about Jason Roy again, because I ranted about him last week. Jason Roy is not a test opener for me. And the sooner England move, either move him out of the side or take him down the order, the better. Joe Root's gone up to number three, but effectively he's opening because Jason Roy is out so quickly. Joe Root's in in the third or fourth over pretty, pretty much regularly throughout this series. That's got to change because you, you don't want your number three effectively opening the batting every single test match. And as you said, Joe Denley, he's, comparisons with James Vince, really, for me, with Joe Denley, when he's in, he looks fine. Some of the cover drives he's played have been top-notch, but he gets to 20, he gets to 30, and then he finds a way of getting himself out. And for him to actually be a regular fixture in this side, that is not good enough. And he, he needs to go on and, as you said, turn the 20s and 30s into 50s and into big hundreds. And Headingley's crucial for Joe Denley. I just thought Akash as well, though, with Joe Denley. I wasn't surprised that England didn't change their side because, A, there wasn't a very big gap between the two test matches. B, Nobody's playing red ball cricket outside of the test at the moment to really stake a claim for taking any of these positions and, and see it shows faith in the side that they've picked to start with. And it, you know, it should give them confidence that, the, that you know, the selectors believe in it, believe in us. And I thought that that catch that Joe Denley took on day five, one split second of action, but he dived to his left. He pulled off a blinding catch to, at the time, give England a little bit of hope towards the end on day five at Lords. But the way he's teammates crowded around him and hugged him and, and gave him congratulations those little things like that just make you feel a little bit more part of the side and a bit more part of it all and that might just have a knock-on effect for Joe Denley that he's just pulled off that moment of magic in the field but that might translate you'd hope
hope for his sake, translate to a few runs at Headingley as well. So certainly not suggesting that we drop Joe Denley. He's under pressure, but that's what Test Match Cricket's all about. He needs to come good at Headingley. He's got the start. So basically, so it's not just the first few overs that's it's troubling him. It's just the start and he's not being able to convert those starts into a score, So which I think would come by experience and he would he'd probably learn it in a few Test matches. And then we can see Joe Denley playing well. Are England going to shuffle the batting order? That's the question. If they are going to shuffle, then again, Jordan Lee is being put in a spot if if he is being promoted to an opening spot. So again, are they going to do it? Are they not going to do it? It all depends on, on the management. If they're going to do it again, then Jordan Lee has to start from the scratch because batting at number four and batting at opening is not it's not the same thing that we talked about Jason Roy. So it's the same thing with Jordan Lee. Batting at number the opening spot is not the same. So it's gonna be difficult for him to also get adjusted to the new ball. So we don't know what change the England uh, selectors are going to do, if they're going to do. The only thing I'd come back with that, Akash, is that Joe Denley was initially picked in the test team during the winter as an opener. They obviously trusted him to do that, so why can't they trust him to do that again? And in the same way that Joe Root is often in against the new ball, Joe Denley's pretty much been starting most of his innings against a ball that's not been that old, coming in at number four. So the old cliche was that England were 30 for three. They're now 30 for two because Burns is standing strong, but the others are going going around him. But you know, Joe Denley is far better equipped. His technique is better. He's temperament's better to go in against the new ball I'd take Jason Roy down to number four in the order I don't see anything wrong with that it's not yeah we've tried him it's failed he's got no experience particularly in the past of opening against the red ball he doesn't look equipped to do that take him down to number four where he can be sheltered a little bit from that new ball and get him to play like Kevin Peterson used to play coming in at number four in the order being attacking counter-attacking I think Jason Roy's game is far better equipped for number four or five in the order than number two England selectors they tend to stick to their guns a little bit and be a bit obstinate and I think they'll continue having Jason Roy there as the opener going down the order Akash I've been a bit critical of Joss Butler I think Joss Butler is, is massively out of form at the moment he's 31 at law Yes, that was crucial in the second innings. But as soon as he started to be a little bit more attacking, which is effectively what they're playing him for, he got himself out immediately. He played an attacking shot. Joss Butler at the moment in this test team is a little bit of a luxury. You've got Ben Stokes who offers you pretty similar. You've got Johnny Bairstow that offers you pretty similar. I don't think you need three in the middle order that are arguably better in white ball than red ball. Joss Butler, I think, is a luxury in this lineup. Would you see it the same way? Well, you can compare it to the Australian team with Matthew Wade's selection. It's again a luxury for them as well because Tim Payne does the role so and, and the batsmen also do the role so need an extra wicket keeper. So it's, it's the same with Joss Butler. There's one thing that we, we need to understand or we need to keep in mind is if Josh Butler sits out, who do you think could replace him as a batsman and better so as a fielder? And in the field, we know that Josh Butler is a beast. He, he can hold on to his catches. He can run and can save a few runs. It's a, it's a crucial. It's crucial to grab hold of your catches. Australia would know that after the second test match that drop catches can cause them merries. Probably he's, he's been picked for for his fielding and his batting. And if they have to change it, I think it'll be difficult for them to do it. The obvious change would be to bring in Ben Folks, who averages forty plus in test match cricket from the five test matches that he's played. You give him the gloves because I don't think there's any argument that Ben Folks is the best keeper in England. Yeah, these days in test match cricket, keepers aren't necessarily picked purely for. They're keeping other. They're picked for what they can offer with the bat too. But I think Ben Folks at number seven in the order would be fine for me. 
And then you move Johnny Bairstow up into the top five and play Johnny Bairstow as purely as a batsman. And Johnny Bairstow, if anything, is better in the field than Joss Butler, who you've just praised for his fielding, because there's nothing wrong with Joss Butler's fielding. But that, that would be the way to go. You know, you bring in a, a, a really good keeper who can bat as well. And you move Bairstow up, who I think nobody would doubt that if you just gave him the job of batting and, and put him in the top five, he could cope with that. So that would be the way that I would go with it. I just think, as I say, Butler is a bit of a luxury in a side that isn't scoring enough runs to have that luxury. You know, if Josh Butler's batting at number six and England 340 for four on a sunny afternoon when he comes in, it's great, isn't it? Because he's got the platform to open his shoulders and to, to be attacking and expansive. Josh Butler tends to come in when it's more like 70 for four when he has to play a proper hard test match innings. And I'm not quite so sure he's got that in his locker. The only thing about Ben Folks for me Everybody quite, kind of talks about this 40-plus average, and it is 40-plus. You know, the stats don't lie, but the first Test match where he scored a century has kind of inflated that. And in the, the final three Test matches he played, that five-match run, he did get found out a little bit, and his scores went down dramatically. So Ben Folks, who only averages 30 in county cricket this year, isn't necessarily the answer to England's batting problems, but he would provide, for me anyway, a better balance to that, that lower middle order and allow Bairstow to maybe be freed up to just to concentrate on his batting. Bairstow won't like that because Bairstow's desperate to keep the gloves. But if you're looking at what's best for the team, potentially that is best for the team. Bairstow has played so much cricket. We know that he's played IPL, he's played uh, limited overs cricket, and now he's playing test match. At some point in the future, his body would need a rest. So it's better to take him off the gloves and then uh, put another one and then just replace Josh Butler. Again, but it's all speculative because we are not on the same wavelength as the English selectors because we have suggested so many changes in the past. I don't know what wavelength they're on, to be honest, because any idiot can see that Jason Roy is not a test match opener. Anybody can. When I started saying it before the Ireland test match, long before the Ireland test match, people were saying, well, no, give him a chance. But even those people that were critical of me on Twitter, at cricket underscore badger, if you want to follow it, are now coming around to the same opinion that, you know, Jason Roy should at least be dropped down the order, if not dropped altogether, because he's not got that mentality to be a test match opener. What the selectors are on at times, I do not know. Everything seems to be led by the white ball. White ball is so critical these days. The one day game is, is so important in international cricket and England obviously, obviously over the last four years put so much store in the white ball cricket which has fantastically manifested itself in a World Cup success which not going to knock that for one second there seems to be this mentality at the moment that Josh Butler he scores white ball runs he can score test match runs Jason Roy he scores white ball runs at the top of the order he can score test match runs at the top of the order they're completely different formats of the game almost entirely different sports and require a completely different kind of technique and a completely different mindset and I, I think the selectors at times Akash cloud the two. Well, I, agree. I absolutely agree with you. I think this, England is one of the only sides in the, in the in the world who are picking players in the limited overs format. We have not seen it with any other sides. Take, for example, Australia. Australia have not uh, banked on their limited overs format and not picked Mitchell Stark. Mitchell Stark, we all know, would fit in any top sides just into the playing level just for his nature. So they've not picked Mitchell Stark despite him being the top picket taker in the World Cup. So sometimes I think this English uh, selectors are going out banking highly on the success of the limited overs in the past uh, two years, which I think would come to a halt when, when, the, when the results don't go in the favour. So it, it all depends on how the series ends up being. If the series ends up being positive one, I, and I don't think they would uh, change a bit because then it would read good on the CV. So I don't think they would change a bit.
discover one of the most beautiful lifestyle resorts in the Caribbean at the Accra Beach Hotel and Spa. Located on the south coast of Barbados, this beachfront property offers 224 rooms, sparkling pools, four restaurants, three bars, an on-site spa, event and conferencing facilities, and a welcoming team providing unparalleled relaxation to make your stay a memorable one. What are you waiting for? Book your reservation at this award-winning hotel today and experience the Caribbean dream. Let's, let's move down England's order because there's one man that took all of the headlines at Lords. Five wickets for 90-something in across the match, but it wasn't necessarily that that took the headlines. It was just the, the serious pace that he could bowl at. He lollops in. He looks like he's out for a, a gentle jog in the park. He goes through his action. His action never changes, whether it's a slow ball or a fast ball or a knuckle ball or a cross seamer. For the batsman, you've got this guy just shambling in, rolling his arm over, and then all of a sudden it's on your nose at 96 miles an hour. Joffre Archer, every single challenge he's had in his career, he seems as relaxed as they, as they come, doesn't he? Every single time he's had to step up onto a slightly bigger stage, he's taken it in his stride, he's been relaxed, and he's performed. And that Test match debut at Lords was one of the best test match debuts I've seen from an England player. He just seemed to just take to it like a duck to water. And for a fast bowler, like I say, he was capable of bowling mid-90s. He could bowl long spells as well. That's England's, the danger for England maybe is that they, they don't overburden him because he could quite easily be the go-to man in, in many different scenarios. They need to monitor his workload carefully. But Joffre Archer, he's, he's the real deal, Akash, isn't he? He's, he looks like a fantastic player. He's one player that has potentially made his name in white ball cricket that can translate very readily to red ball. Exactly. And, uh, that's what we discussed on the la- last episode of the podcast, where I told that Jofra is one person who can translate his self-confidence and onto the pitch, unlike any other player in the world. I suggested that uh, he, he could have a good debut. And also, uh, talking about his pace, we've really not seen this kind of a pace since, I could say, Shoy Bakhtar. Shoy Bakhtar in the test, he didn't play much test, but whenever he played, he used to play with such attitude and uh, similar pace and aggression, which, which I think we saw from Jofra. On the flip side, uh, Jofra Archer, he just takes three steps and he's intimidating. But the other fast bowlers just take 20, 30 steps and still bowl at a a comparatively less pace than what Jofra Archer does. More than that, I just think he just uh, installs fear into the the batting order. We we saw it was not only with Steve Smith, but also with uh, Tim Payne. Tim Payne struggled against Jofra Archer. He could not not get him... Uh, he could not score against him. He was just he was just too timid against Jofra Archer. So I think he just instills a mental fear into the Australian batting, which which could go into the third test as well. So I think Jofra Archer is a really good pick. But keeping in mind that they should they should also take care of his workload. Just right after the Lord's test, we've seen Jofra Archer coming up with a tweet saying that me getting out of the bed tomorrow morning with an old man's gif, which I think is is a bit of humor. But I think uh, he's also suggestive that what the team should do and not uh, burn him out. The, the thing as well is it's exciting from a from a fan's perspective. As Englishmen, we don't get many out and out quicks. 2005 Ashes, we had Simon Jones and Harmison and Flintoff. We've had Bob Willis giving it his everything at times in the past. Out and out quick bowlers in an England shirt are few and far between. And it's exciting. You know, some of the best moments in cricket, well, certainly for me, some of my favourite memories of cricket have been when 
a really good batsman is having a battle out there in the middle with a really good bowler. I was lucky enough to be in the crowd at Trent Bridge when Michael Atherton was facing Alan Donald and that was tremendous theatre. You know, Donald was getting angry because he'd, he'd got Atherton out, effectively. He had got him out and he wasn't giving out and Atherton just smirked back at him. Atherton stood firm at the crease. Donald got angry and bowled quicker and quicker and quicker, stuck it past his nose. You go back it, you know, even further and you've got that time when Michael Holding was bowling at Brian Close with no helmet on in those days and was absolutely peppering him and Brian Close just took it on the body, got his nose just out the way and that was superb. Michael Holding's over to Jeffrey Boycott back in the day where he did him over in that over and, and finally took his stumps out. You know, some of the best moments in cricket are when a, a seriously fast, snarling bowler is coming in at a really good batsman and it's who's going to come out on top. And batsmen are human beings at the end of the day, aren't they? You know, if somebody's bowling at you at 96 miles an hour and has the ability to hit you in the head, that is not something that any batsman in the world is going to be comfortable against. Also, the fact that the Australian batsmen are not in, in quite the form that they would expect Expected, uh, expect them to be in. So it makes it double hard for them to face. And on the fifth day at Lords, we've seen that lights were not quite bright as, as Australian batsmen would have hoped for. So it was much tough to face Jofra on such conditions. And Tim Payne had admitted it after the test match that it was very tough to face pace on that pitch. It was just Jofra Archer and his just three steps. He bowled at 155, 160 kilometers per hour, which is express pace. And he wouldn't look that intimidating when he's walking and he's bowling at bowling from five steps. He's had a massive effect on this series because after the first test match, obviously Australia, Australia claiming the victory, England left Edgebaston feeling a bit downbeat. They'd left Fortress Edgebaston, which had always been a very profitable ground for them. One nil down in the series, coming to Lords, the pressure on them. And for Joffre Archer to have that effect on the Australian batsmen, and like I say, nobody's going to like facing 96 mile an hour deliveries. But he's clever as well. He's got control. A lot of those bounces, they're not just short balls that are splayed all over the place. They are very meanly and evilly directed right at the nose, right into this armpit area. It is proper, serious fast bowling and it's almost I, I, to me it's changed the momentum of this series Australia's still 1-0 up but going to Headingley it almost feels that England's have got a bit of a bounce in the step and Australia are now concerned about it It looked like an English victory because uh, on, on paper certainly it's a draw but it looked like an English victory not only over the five days but also mentally I think they have dominated Australia in this test match they've instilled uh, as I said already a fear into the Australian batting order because they they uh, now the Australians do know that they have Jofra Archer to face. There was quite a lot of controversy, Akash, when Jofra Archer hit Stephen Smith and Smith was down and obviously we've all got memories of the Philip Hughes things I say. And Smith went down like a sack of spuds and for a few moments there, it was quite concerning. Not just the, the fact that he's a, the best batsman in the world's immaterial. He was a human being on the floor there in obvious trouble. And I, I saw a lot of the Australian press suggesting that Joffre Archer's reaction to that was poor, that he was at the other end of the pitch, he was smiling, chatting and seemingly unconcerned. I know you had a go at me on Twitter suggesting the same thing. A, I want my fast bowler to snarl. I want him to be angry. I want him to be nasty. That's what makes the very best fast bowlers great. You know, if you're a fast bowler that likes everybody and doesn't want to harm anybody, you're not going to be as anywhere near as intimidating as, as somebody that sticks it up somebody's nose. And watching him 
after that ball had hit Stephen Smith, he, he did walk down the track to have a look. I don't think there's anything that Joffre Archer can do in that situation to help Stephen Smith. He's got other people around him. And Joffre Archer then just paced around for a little bit. The way I read the reaction to that was that Joss, um, Joss Butler at short leg had been one of the first people to Stephen Smith. Not that Joss Butler's a medical expert, but he was, he was the first person to him because he was the closest to him. And Joss Butler had walked back down to see Joffre Archer and was having a chat with Joff Archer. And I think that was great from Joss Butler, because I think what Joss Butler was doing there was he'd said to his fast bowler, don't worry about it, mate. He looks okay. He was trying to calm him down. You would be worried that you've hurt somebody, regardless of what you're, you know, it's your job to do it. You would be worried because nobody wants to see anybody hurt on a cricket pitch. And I heard an interview with Joffre Archer the following morning saying, he, he said, I don't, want to, I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to see anybody carried off a cricket pitch. But that's his job, to bowl those balls and, and to be intimidating. In that situation, I, I thought the criticism of Joffre Archer was un, unfair. I think he was doing his job. I don't think there was any indication that he wasn't concerned about it. And I think the smile, often in, in situations where you're a bit nervous and anxious, is when you, you smile and you yawn and you, you do things that aren't commensurate with the gravity of what you what you face with. I, I don't think Joffre Archer did anything wrong. No, I, I didn't uh, completely say Joffre Archer did everything wrong. What I, what I tried uh, saying is that Joffre Archer could have just walked to Steve Smith and checked up on him, which he did very late. That's that's what I was suggesting. That there was nothing that he did wrong because it's it, it's what uh, Test cricket is played for. It's it's is the passion with which it's played. So you can't blame Steve Smith for scoring runs, can you? But uh, then how can you blame him for bowling bouncers? So it's all part of the game. And the second thing is is that uh, image which went viral where Jofra Archer and Josh Butler are. Are laughing, which I don't think is at uh, aimed at Steve Smith, which would have been at some other point in the game, and they would have just doctored it in such a manner to say that they were laughing at uh, Steve Smith. I don't think they're laughing at Steve Smith at all because the situation was not uh, guaranteed for a laughter. My only concern was that Joff Ratchet did not walk to Steve Smith soon after the delivery to just check up on him. That was the only concern. I didn't have any issues with what he did because he came up on the next day, in the, uh, and, and as rightly said on the interview, he said, I don't want to harm people. He's my friend. We've been, I mean, we've been part of the same team at Rajasthan Royals. And also we've heard Mitchell Johnson say that he's one of the nicest guy in England. So I don't think that's, that's an issue. The only issue for me was he, he did not walk up to the batsman right after that. And he walked back to his crease, which which I thought probably is a mistake because he's just playing his first test. But it's just that that was not good to look on on, on the screen. I think there's a lot of hypocrisy in, a, in an Ashes series. And England have been guilty of it in the past as well. So don't get me wrong, I'm not just having to go at Australians with what I'm about to say here. But Australians in the past have had fast bowlers that have been trying to knock England's heads off. And they've never been too concerned about the batsman in those situations. We've seen Michael Clark tell Jimmy Anderson that he's going to break his arm. There's been plenty of nastiness come from Australians and they've never been too shy about giving it out. It strikes me at some stages that during this, this series that Australia are maybe a little bit more precious about taking it at times. It, it is all part of the game. That's how Australia play. We know that they play that chirpy kind of cricket where they, they just want to get into the ears of the batsmen, into the ears of the fielders to just get them talking and that, that charges them up. I, I'm not blaming that. I'm not saying that Australians are all, all, are always good with, with what they do on the field. So I'm just, I'm just saying that if this situation could have done better than what it looked like on screens. That's what, that's what I'm suggesting. It. I, I just don't think that you, you, you don't employ your fast bowler to be a St. John's ambulance man. I, I don't think he didn't care. 
you know, the fact that he didn't walk down the pitch and, and cuddle Stephen Smith, I don't think is a reflection on Joffre Archer. I think you, you pay your fast bowler to do exactly what Joffre Archer was doing. Hi, my name is Brian Lara and you're listening to the Cricket Batcher podcast. It's sad to see, I think, that Moen Ali's struggling for Worcestershire at the moment uh, in the county championship game. He's not taking any wickets. He's resorted to bowling medium pace. Yeah, I, I worry for Moen. I think he's uh, in, he could do with a complete break away from cricket. But the man that's come in for him, Jack Leach, took wickets, but also gave England a hell of a lot more control. Well, before I talk about uh, Jack Leach, I just want to talk about Moen Ali. I think uh, Moen Ali should not, should not uh, go with his medium pace. I think he should just take some time off. And just continue bowling with his offspins because that's what he's best known for. That's why he was picked in the England team for, for the first uh, time. So I think he should just continue with what he does best because I think he's he's got him in him to just come back to make a comeback and come into the English side. It's just time. Give it some time off and then take it one at a time. Then coming to Jack Leach, obviously. Jack Leach not only as you said, gave a control to this English bowling attack. We've not seen England dominating all the ses- uh, all the sessions in in a Test match in the first one, which is, which is what I said Australia did in the first one. So I think England dominated all sessions, and Jack Leach was instrumental in that. Not only he bowled good lengths, but he also bowled uh, challenging lines for the Australian batsmen who struggled at times to play him. He looked unplayable on the other side compared to Joffre Archer. So both of them bowling in tandem was was just beautiful to watch. Yeah, absolutely. So in, in that. That respect, England's balance at the bottom of the order is, is spot on. I think Jack Leach, they, sh- they need to give him a run now. He needs to be the England spinner, choice spinner throughout the winter. And he looks like he's got everything England need. He, I heard Michael Vaughan compare him a little bit to Ashley Giles in that he gives, you know, Ashley, Ashley Giles in the 2005 Ashes gave Michael Vaughan the control, but also the wicket-taking threat as well. And Jack Leach could do exactly the same for Joe Root over the next uh, few months. And that can only be good for England. Thank you so much for listening to the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast. Your feedback has been both encouraging and very, very welcome. Our listeners are growing week on week. The podcast is now available on Spotify, Audio Boom, iTunes, YouTube, and all major platforms. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on at cricket underscore badger. Email the show cricketbadger at hotmail.com. Respond to the points made. Make suggestions for future content and play your part as the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast goes from strength to strength. Let's have a look ahead to uh, the third Ashes test at Headingley. Just before we do that, our charity competition, our prediction competition, our cash. We're falling short, mate. We've we've basically had all of our predictions in the first test and second test have missed out. I, I got close. I had Ben Stokes to be the top batsman, but that was in the first innings, not the second. Um, you had Pat Cummins to take five wickets. He took three. And I had Chris Wokes to take five wickets and he took three. So we, we've not been far away, but none of them have landed yet. We need to do better in this uh, third test. Before we give our predictions... The man that's basically on holiday that should be on this podcast, Ollie Fisher, well, he sent me some audio. Here's his reflections, his brief reflections on the second test match, and then his picks for the third test match at Headingley. It's that Badger style. Let's get to the serious choices that we face with our 10 units on the third test match at Headingley. 
Looking at the prices then, Akash here, the Joffre Archer effect has had a big play, I think, in terms of the prices because England weren't, I think, were 23 to 10 ahead of the Lord's Test match. They're 8 to 13 ahead of Headingley. The draw is 6 to 1 and Australia are 21 to 10. Both you and me, we picked the draw in the first Test match and there was a positive result. Both you and me picked a positive result in the second Test match and it was a draw. How are you going to play your 10 units on the Headingley Test? I think this time England will win the third Test. A, Joffre Archer being there and B, Stephen Smith not being there so I think it it yeah, it goes in their favour and so I think this will be one test match that will define English summer For anybody thinking Headingley and thinking back to the 80s when it was a seamer's paradise it's not like that anymore it's actually a very good batting wicket there's no rain forecast for any other five days in Leeds so Potentially, we've got all five days to play out. The draw isn't out of the question, but I look back at the stats last night and only one of the last 19 test matches played at Headingley. There have been some high-scoring ones as well. It has been a draw. 18, 18 wins for various people. Just one draw in those last 19 tests played in Leeds. So I think the positive result is the way to go. And really, there's only one positive result to take here. England at 8-13 to 13 has to be the play. It's short. Australia 21-10. to 10. I can't touch that because Australia, I think, have a lacking confidence at the moment. And with Stephen Smith missing, that's a, that's a big miss for them too. So 8-13 to 13 on England is where my 10 units go as well. It's that Badger style. Right, moving on, we've got 10 units. Akash, to stick on any other bet for the third test match that we want to go to. We can split those 10 units if we want to as well. And I'm going to be a little bit canny here. I've obviously put my 10 units on the 8 to 13 for England. But I also think if you're just having one bet on this third test match and you fancy England to win it, rather than taking England the 8, 8 to 13 to win it, play the series market. I think if England win this third test match, they make it one all with two games to go. They win this five match series. So for me, England at seven to four to win the series is where five of my stakes are going to go. And then I'm going to go for the top run scorer in the England batting lineup. Similar reasons as last week, really. Joe Root, Rory Burns. Rory Burns did top score in the end, but only just. Um, Jason Roy showing not a huge amount with the bat. Joe Denley is as big as 6-1 to one in this market, despite batting at number four or potentially even going up to open the innings. The value bet is Ben Stokes at 5-1 to one or Johnny Bairstow at 11-2. to two. We saw what Ben Stokes could do at Lords, so I couldn't put anybody off playing that 5-1 to one on him to top score. But I'm going to go with Johnny Bairstow. He averages over 50 at Headingley. Played four test matches there. It's his home ground. He'll have the crowd right behind him. 11-2 for Johnny Bairstow. That's where my other five units go. Akash, how are you investing your 10? Uh, I'm, I'm going to divide it into five and five as well. My first five units would be Johnny Bairstow to be the leading, uh, the top run scorer for England. And my second five units would be for a surprise pick. I think it would be Travis Head for Australia at uh, 15 to 2. I don't think that's a bad bet at all. I think he has been the second best batsman for Australia throughout this series. And I think he's got a very level head on him, pardon the pun. So I don't think that'd be a shock at all. And he could even, as we said, he could even move up a place or two in the order and with the absence of Stephen Smith. So decent punts, those. Akash, wish you every success with those. We've heard Ollie's picks already. So we'll move into the third test match. Full of excitement. It's a fantastic Ashes series that we're experiencing. Heading is going to be no different. The sun is going to shine in Leeds. 
And we've got a boy in England taking on Australia, trying to level the series at one all. And then we'll head to Old Trafford with everything to play for. That's the plan anyway. Thanks, Akash, for joining me this week. It's my pleasure. Thank you to everybody for listening as well. We'll be back again next week with our review of the third test match. We'll be looking ahead to the fourth test match at Old Trafford. If you follow us in with any of the bets, then gamble responsibly. The prices that we pick are with Paddy Power. Gamble for fun and not to lose your house. Wish you every success with that. Enjoy your cricket. Enjoy the third test match. And myself, Akash and Ollie, we'll see you very, very soon indeed. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.